Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Pray with me. Lord God, we come before you and we just want to express our love for you. And we thank you for the love that you showed us in sending your son. While we were without strength, while we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, you sent your son Jesus to die in our place so that we might know eternal life. Father, we give you thanks, we give you praise, we give you glory for that because we understand that we love you only because you first loved us. And so, Father, now we are gathered together and we, we're going to open your word and we ask that you would speak to us from it. Father, there are people here today, there are people watching, there are people listening who need to hear from you. And they need a word from you. So, Father, I pray that today you would speak your truth into hearts, into minds, into lives, and that we would never be the same people again because of your work through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. And just a couple of things um, coming up. One, this afternoon at 5 o'clock, we will be having our evening prayer service here in this room in person. So uh, if you'd like to come be a part of that, we invite you to be here at 5 o'clock for a time of corporate prayer as we join together. And then also next week, next Sunday, God willing, the plan is to start a new series going through the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Now, you might say, I don't know how to spell it. I don't know where to find it. But it's in the Old Testament. We're going to go over it. Uh, let me invite you over the next week or so, if you'd like to, uh, take your Bible. Go look up the book of, Habak of Habakkuk. Shouldn't take you probably any more than 15, 20 minutes to read the entire thing, maybe even less. And just read through it and uh, just kind of get your mind in that groove. And we'll start in Habakkuk, God, God willing, next Sunday morning. But today in John 11, I want us to look at the idea of reframing Jesus. And let me tell you what I mean by that as we begin. One of the things that uh, you see all throughout culture, and I don't mean just modern culture. If you go all the way back, even to the time where Jesus was walking the earth, people were trying to reframe him. Now, I'm not talking about framing him for some crime, although that, that did happen uh, leading to his death. But I'm talking about they try to reframe him. That is, they try to take his identity, his role, and the people try to make his identity less than what it truly is or something other than what his role is. And so you have people who say, even today, people who say, well, I believe Jesus was a good moral teacher. They don't want to say that he was God in the flesh, but he was a good moral teacher. 
Or maybe, maybe Jesus was just not even a good moral teacher. Maybe he was just a dispenser of Jewish wisdom. And he would just uh, repeat things that he had heard. Or maybe Jesus was a misguided holy man, someone who truly believed that he was God, but seriously was just only a man. Or maybe Jesus was a cultural revolutionary. Or maybe Jesus was someone who was oppressed at the hands of the government. And you hear people take Jesus and try to reframe him into a role that makes him more relatable to their particular situation or makes him less invasive into their lives. If he's just a good moral teacher, then he's just human and he really can't call me out on sin. If he's just someone who has been oppressed and murdered by the government, then uh, he's not entering into my life. I'm able to relate to him, but he's not really entering into my life as a savior or Lord. What you find in the Bible is that at multiple occasions during the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus would reframe his role in his identity and clarify who he was. He would make some adjustments to the understanding of those who were around him. And he would clarify his role. Now, I'll go ahead and say one of the most dangerous times where we are the most susceptible to reframing Jesus is when we are going through pain. If we're going through a time of pain, a time of suffering, a time of loss, a time of grief, if we aren't careful, what we will do is that we will take Jesus and we will put him on the other side of the pain and the grief and the loss, and we will use our pain, our grief, and our loss as a lens through which we view Jesus. Instead of flipping that around and viewing our pain, our grief, our loss, through Jesus, through God's word, we want to turn it around and, and we do it the wrong way. We start with the reality of our pain and let the reality of our pain color the true reality of everything else going on. And that can lead us astray. You've probably seen it. You may have done it. I have seen it. And at times I have done that very thing. We let our pain decide or we let our, our pain dictate how we view Jesus instead of looking at our pain through Jesus. And so I want us to look at today what happens when Jesus adjusts our understanding of him. When Jesus shows us something about himself and does some things in our life, maybe even in a painful circumstance, and in doing so gives us a clear understanding of who he is. One of the first things we find is when Jesus adjusts your understanding of who he is, he disrupts your expectations. He disrupts your expectations. Now, you find in John chapter 11, starting with verse 1, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
When Jesus adjusts your understanding of who he is, he disrupts your expectations. So Jesus, we don't know exactly where he is at the beginning of this. If he is at the same place where he was at the end of John chapter 10, the previous chapter, we find that Jesus was in an area called the Transjordan region. Trans meaning across. He was across the Jordan. He was where John the Baptist had baptized people. And so he was over in the area of the Jordan River, across the Jordan, over in modern day Jordan, the country of Jordan. So he was over in that area. Now that's a distance from Bethany. Bethany is about two miles southeast of Jerusalem. And the Transjordan region is much farther out past Jerusalem. So word comes to Jesus. The one whom you love is sick. The one whom you love is ill. Lazarus, a messenger comes and tells Jesus. Jesus has this response. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So certainly the disciples must have thought, well, Jesus knows everything. He says this illness isn't to death. He's not going to die. So everybody's pretty relaxed. But think about Mary and Martha. Think about the people who were there with Mary and Martha. They've sent a messenger to Jesus because they know that Jesus heals people. And Mary and Martha send this messenger out of desperation. Go get Jesus. Tell him that the one that he loves is sick. Tell him that we need him here. But notice what happens. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, in case you missed the fact that he loves them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now that doesn't seem right. He gets the word that Lazarus is sick, and so he hangs out for two days longer. Three Sundays ago, I got done with the second service. And right as I was standing down front, my phone began to ring. And it was the wife of a friend of mine. A friend of mine had been in and out of the hospital. He had suffered a stroke a number of years ago. And he was being sent home from the hospital. And I stepped out to the prayer and care room and I took the call. And she said, he wants to talk to you. My friend got on the phone and he said, I'm done. I'm tired. I just want to go home and be with Jesus. I've just dealt with this for so long. I'm just ready. And I said, well, you, you sure you're not, you're not willing to fight anymore? He said, yeah, I'm done. I said, well, is there anything you would stay here for? He said, no, not really. I'm just done. I'm just, I'm, I'm done fighting. And I got off the phone and that was three Sundays ago. And that Monday, I got in the car and I headed to Knoxville. I wanted to see him one more time. So I drove up there and I spent a few hours with him on Tuesday. We talked and sat and laughed and shared stories. And then I came back on Wednesday and then the very next Tuesday, I got the call from his wife. He had died in his sleep. So I went up this past week and I did his funeral in his graveside. But whenever he said to me, I'm going home tomorrow to my physical home. I'm going home. They're sending me home and uh, I'm done fighting. I got in the car and I went to see him because I love this guy. We're friends. We're close. So I wanted to see him. I want to have some more time with him. And, and though 
they didn't expect me to do that. I, I wanted to do that out of my love for the guy. And yet, then you have Jesus, and they show up, and they talk to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, uh, you need to come. Mary and Martha are sending for you. Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, okay. And he stays for two more days. That's not the expectation. That's not what they thought would happen. They thought, surely he'll come. Surely he'll meet us. Surely he'll, he'll get up from where he is, and he'll, he, will, he will arrive here in time. But that's not what he did. Notice what he says. He says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, that's pretty cryptic. He says that, and everybody's saying, what does that mean? What does he mean by that? The problem comes when we look at Jesus through our expectations, and we say, this is absolutely the best thing. I know what the best thing is. I know what the right thing is, and I know if Jesus would only listen to me and do what I say, when I say, how I say, then things will be much better. That's not how it works. We find warnings all throughout Scripture about not relying upon our own understanding. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, Jeremiah writes, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. That is not in man who walks to direct his steps. It's not in man who walks to direct his steps. We don't know what's ultimately best for us. If you wait on God, God will always give you what is best for eternity. Always God will give you what is best for eternity. But you have to wait on him. And we have to learn to, to allow God to direct what we expect. And so here they are saying, we have this expectation. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to disrupt those expectations. The really dangerous thing occurs when we start taking our expectations and we say, not, we, we don't say, God, I'm coming to you with these expectations. But when we say, I'm not even going to go to God or I don't even believe in God, I can handle it myself. I have the plan. I have the ability to accomplish the plan. I have all the power that I need to do exactly what I want to do. And I am going to get it done. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, here's this warning. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right, but when we go our own direction, we do it ourselves. We do it without God. We decide, I have all the wisdom. I know what needs to happen. I am going to accomplish this. That ultimately will lead to self-destruction. It always will lead to self-destruction without God directing our expectations. But God disrupts our expectations. Jesus messes up what we anticipate. Why would he do that? Well, we find it in verses 5 and 6. Now, I'm just going to warn you, this is disturbing. Listen to this, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That word so in verse 6, we just read it like, well, so. But whenever you look it up, the word can mean because of this. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus because of this. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Because he loved them, 
he disrupted their expectations. Because he loved them, he stayed for two days longer. When he heard he was sick, he stayed two days longer. Have you ever had something in your own life you could put in there? Now, Jesus loved Dustin. Because of this, when Dustin asked for this, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did something quite contrary to that. Out of his love for me. Out of his love for you. Sometimes a disrupted expectation is the biggest blessing that you can be given. And I think we could all go back in our lives and think over times where we had an expectation that God did not meet and an expectation where God did not show up exactly in the way we hoped he would. And then in retrospect, we say, thank you, God, for that. Thank you for that. But when Jesus wants to adjust our understanding of who he is, he will disrupt our expectations. The second thing he does is he increases your faith. Now, he has some discussion with the disciples, and we get down to verse 14 and 15, and Jesus has told them that our friend Lazarus, let's, let's arise and go to Bethany. Let's go, guys. And they're saying, wait a minute, thought we were just hanging out here. And besides that, if we go to Judea, the Jews have been trying to kill you. They, the Jewish leaders, want you dead. So now we're going to go back over there? And Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleeps. And they said, well, if he's asleep, maybe he's sleeping off the sickness and maybe he'll get better. Because after all, they just heard Jesus say this sickness is not unto death. But then Jesus says this in verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus increases your faith. Now, this seems really confusing. Mary and Martha send messenger. The messenger shows up and says, come, Jesus, please, come to Bethany. The one whom you love is sick. And Jesus says, this illness, this illness is not unto death. This is for the glory of God. So then he hangs out for two more days. And then he says, Lazarus is dead. Wait a minute, I thought you said that it wasn't unto death. Not ultimately. And then Jesus says, now we're going to go see him. And then Jesus says those words, I am glad, for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may believe. Now he's telling the disciples, I'm glad we weren't there. I'm glad we didn't leave whenever they thought we would leave. I'm glad I disrupted those expectations. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because this is going to be an opportunity for your faith to be increased. The disciples have no idea what is going on here. Sometimes when we're in the middle of one of those situations, we don't have any idea what is going on. Jesus is moving and Jesus is working in our lives and Jesus is disrupting our expectations and, expectations and he's showing us things about himself. And we're saying, Jesus, what are you doing? I don't understand. What's, what's going on here? And in the doing, he may be saying, I'm glad, I am glad that I didn't answer you when you wanted me to answer you because I'm doing something greater here. And in doing so, he increases our faith. Those of you who were following along with our 90 days of prayer, our season of prayer that we did here at the church and we sent them out every day, uh, somewhere around day 70 something, I don't remember which one it was, 70 something, I wrote about the African Impala. 
And there are some researchers who've said that, you know, an impala can jump 10 feet high. It can jump spans of 30 feet in distance. But an African impala can be kept in an enclosure with a very low wall because, as they say, the African impala will not jump where it cannot, where, as long as it can't see where its feet are going to land. It won't jump. It won't jump even over a low wall if it can't see where its feet will land. And sometimes that's what we are. We're spiritual impalas sometimes. Sometimes God says, jump, come to me. And we're saying, oh, I don't know all the details. Can you give me the whole plan and lay out all the details and let me see exactly what's going to happen before I jump? Can you, can you let me know every single thing I can expect before I step out in that way? Because it's just really hard for me to trust you unless I have all the details laid out. Can you give me the calendar, God? Can you give me how many days we're going to be in this season and how many days that season and when I can expect this down to the minute? No, God doesn't do that. But God increases our faith during these situations. In fact, the increase of faith is exactly what the disciples had asked for. In Luke chapter 17, verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. And, and it's not even an issue of the magnitude of our faith. We're talking about the breadth of our faith. Moreover, what do we mean by that? Well, the idea of little faith or great faith doesn't mean necessarily how deeply you believe that but it's a matter of how much how many things do you believe that God has said the idea is like this if there were a hundred things that God said this is truth these are things you can depend upon would you believe all 100 now we say absolutely yes but remember what faith is faith is is receiving a report from God and then responding in the right way so if we receive from the word of God, do we say, God, I, I may not understand how that's going to work out, but you know what? You said it, so I'm going to trust you. And do we, are we willing to say that regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation? We look at it and we say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust what you say. Even when I can't see, even when the wall is over three feet high and I can't see where my feet are going to land, I'm going to trust you unreservedly in everything that you say. That's the idea of having great faith. And Jesus is putting them to the test to see, are you going to trust what I say? Are you going to trust me in this situation? Are you going to trust that even when this seems to be happening and then that seems to be happening, are you going to trust that I know exactly what is going on? Very wise person once wrote this, experiences that demand an exhibition of faith on our part are the ones that most significantly impact us. Experiences that demand an exhibition on our part, those are the ones that most significantly impact us. A demonstration of faith, stepping out in faith, living by faith. Have you been in one of those situations? Maybe this season has been one of those situations for you where you have had to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in every single way. I'm going to trust what your word says. 
I'm going to trust what your word says about my life. I'm going to trust what your word says about my family. I'm going to trust what your word says about my job. I'm going to trust what your word says about how to deal with the culture. I'm going to trust what your word says about the gospel of Christ and how it's power. I'm going to trust you in all these ways. Or are there areas where you say, oh, I don't know. I mean, I trust God with this, but I don't trust God with that. Do you trust God with your own life? Do you trust God with your family? Do you trust God with your job? Do you trust God to know the future and to lead you into it? Do you trust what he's doing? I'll just tell you, this has been over the last four months, four months. Let's just imagine that, four months. You realize we've been in this for four months? Just four months. Do you know the number of pastors I've talked to over the last four months who have said, we have people who have said they're just, they've just fallen away and they're just not even coming back. I don't mean they're not coming back because they may be afraid of the coronavirus or something, but they've just kind of just fallen away completely. Four months. Some of them fell away long before four months. One month, two months. Got out of the habit, got out of the routine. That's all it was. It wasn't a lifestyle. They're gone. And, and that's been so very revealing when God puts us to the test. And as I was reminded when, uh, reminding some friends and was reminded when I was up in Tennessee, and this is not even persecution yet. If four months of a virus disrupts the church of God in America to this degree, what will happen when true persecution comes? God increases our faith when we are placed in those times of difficult circumstances. Are you, is your faith being increased even now, even through this season, even through whatever personal struggles you may be going through? Is your faith increasing in that? The final thing is when Jesus adjusts our understanding of who he is, he gives you a greater revelation of himself. He gives you a greater revelation of himself. Look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, so he does go to them. He does go to Bethany. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained, remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now that's an incredible statement of faith. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus has a similar discussion with Mary. Mary comes to him. And then Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus. Look at verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, that is the large stone closing the tomb. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come out. 
I'm going back to the King James here. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus gives you a greater revelation of himself. When they get back, they get back to Bethany, they find that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, this is an important little tidbit of Jewish belief. Not that it's found anywhere in the Bible, but it was Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition held that the, the soul of the departed person hung out in the vicinity of the body for three days before departing. So if Lazarus had been in the grave for four days, to the Jewish mind, Lazarus was not just dead, he was dead, dead. His body was dead, but now his soul had actually left as well. And so with that, into that situation, Jesus walks in. And Martha goes out to meet him. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary says the same thing. Do you think the two of the sis those two sisters have been talking? Of course. If, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, Jesus. And then Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know, I know, I know. At the last day when the dead are raised, I know he'll, he'll live again. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Like now, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Jesus is giving them a greater revelation of himself. Because why did they call him to begin with? Jesus, we want you to come and we want you to heal our brother. Jesus says, I'm going to hang out for two days longer. And then when I get there, he's going to be four days in the tomb. Because they knew Jesus as the healer. They didn't know him as the resurrection. And Jesus comes so that they may know him as the resurrection. A greater, deeper, fuller understanding of the role of the Messiah. I'm not just a healer. No, no, no. I have power over the grave. I'm not just the one who can cure a sickness. No, I'm the one who raises the dead back to life and not just the recently dead not just i just showed up a moment after he took his last breath to resuscitate him but oh no he is in the tomb he's been in the tomb four days and they had just said before he said roll away the stone they had just said jesus there's already a stench he's already decaying so in their mind, it was gone. It was done. The soul had departed completely. And also, Lazarus was beginning to decompose. And Jesus says, this is nothing. Sometimes it is into our most seemingly hopeless circumstances that Jesus speaks those words of life. Now, granted, there are some expectations that need to stay in the tomb. There are some dreams and hopes and desires that we need to die to, and they just need to be buried and done with. But then there are other things that Jesus says, I'm gonna let that die so that you can see a greater revelation of who I am. He allowed Lazarus to die. For what reason? To show the glory of God. That's what we find over here in verse, verse 40 and following. And notice what he says in verse 41. They took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you 
that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. What a prayer. Father, thank you for hearing me. Not that I ever doubted that you hear me. I know that you hear me. But the whole reason I'm saying this out loud is so the other people who hear me say this know that you hear me. Wow. Jesus talking a little smack there. This is, I just want them to know exactly who they're dealing with here. He's giving everyone present a greater revelation of himself. Mary and Martha and all their friends and all the disciples are about to see the giver of life in operation. They're about to see the resurrection and the life call the dead forth. Not just, not just heal somebody who's sick, but bring someone back to life. This is not the first time Jesus does this. It's not the only time Jesus does this. We find that the disciples are with Jesus and they're in a boat and they're on the Sea of Galilee. And the storm comes up. And you find in Mark chapter 4, verse 37, a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he, that's Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Imagine that. Here's Jesus totally racked out, laying on a cushion, asleep in the front of the boat while the storm rages. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care? We're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you, no, have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Notice Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. There's a storm. There's a storm brewing. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus gets up, rubs his sleepy eyes, looks out and goes, hush. And everything gets still. But then notice their response. They were filled with great fear. They started with being afraid of the storm. And then when Jesus does this and reframes their understanding of who he is, suddenly that creates great fear in them. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've been in storms before. Going through a storm is one thing. But a person who stands up and just says, hush to the wind and the water and they obey, that's a different ballgame. They're greatly afraid. Why? Because speaking to creation and having it respond, that's creator level stuff. That's the one who, and of course, why would he be afraid? He made it. He spoke the universe into existence. So if he spoke it into existence, then he can tell it to calm down. And so he reframes their understanding of who he is. He did the same thing after he taught the multitudes on the mountainside. And there's thousands of people there. We find in John chapter 6, verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Notice verse 6. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little a denarius was one day's wage. 
200 days wages is what Philip says. If we had 200 days wages, 200 days of working all day long, if we had all that money and we put it together and we tried to buy bread, that would only be enough for each one of these people just to have a little bite of bread. They could just get a little snack. They wouldn't be able to eat until they're full. But notice what it is. Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Hey, Philip, where can we buy enough bread? We can't get enough bread. That's right, we can't. But I can make bread. That's not an issue. So he multiplies the loaves. He multiplies the fish so that people can eat. But the point being just that, Jesus is helping Philip to understand, I'm not bound by these physical limitations. He lets Philip, get this, he lets Philip recognize the magnitude of the problem so that Philip will appreciate the magnitude of the solution. And sometimes he puts us in those same places. He will wait two more days. He may let that storm rage. He may let you look at the situation and say, there is no way that I'm going to be able to handle this. And in doing so, he's creating an environment where you know if something happens in that situation, it had to be him and not you. Philip can't take the credit for this. Oh man, everybody was so willing to give and we all pooled our money together and got food for all these people. We were so persuasive. Some of them didn't want to give and we had to persuade them. Jesus says, no, I got this. It wasn't that the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee saying, we are such great, we're such great fishermen and we are such great sailors. We, boy, wow, did you see the way we navigated this storm? I mean, we knew exactly where to shift the weight in the boat. And we had Judas over there bailing like crazy. And everybody was doing exactly what they needed to do. And we got safely to the other side. Wow, that's some incredible boating skills there. No, not at all. Nor did anybody else take credit for Lazarus coming out of the grave because the only way that could happen was if the Lord over life and death actually spoke those words to call him out. Where is it that Jesus is reframing himself in your life? Maybe through this season, Jesus has been reframing himself. He's been adjusting your focus and giving you a clearer understanding of exactly who he is and exactly what he is capable of doing in your life, if you will allowing where is it that he's disrupted your expectations maybe in the recent history maybe in distant past that you can look back on and say thank you god for disrupting my expectations thank you for not giving me exactly what i asked for in that time when i didn't know that i didn't need to be asking for that or that i needed to ask for that other thing where is it that he's increasing your faith how well do you know jesus right now after those trials as compared to how well you know him before and or and if you're in the middle of a storm right now if you're in the middle of one of those times where you're saying 200 denarii isn't even enough to handle this situation if the stone has been rolled and closed the door and you think there's no hope that situation is dead and gone there's there's nothing that can be done it's into those situations that Jesus can show up and Jesus will show you a greater, deeper, more full revelation of himself. That's what we need to be asking for. Jesus, show me who you are in the middle of this. 
whatever circumstance we're in. Jesus, show me who you are in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis. God, show me who you are in the midst of vocational turmoil. God, show me who you are in the midst of relationships and strife, strife and relationships. God, show me who you are in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of this suffering, in the middle of this grief, right smack dab in the middle of this loss. Lord God, show me, reframe, help me to understand who Jesus is in a much better way. And he will. And he will. He will reframe your understanding of who he is for your good and for his glory. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Lord God. Thank you, and it seems odd to say thank you, but thank you for those situations and those circumstances that press us to a place where we see no hope and you show up and you respond in such a way that we walk away with a deeper, richer, more full, more accurate understanding of who Christ is. And God, I just lift up everybody here present with us this morning, everybody who's watching or listening online now or later. And Father, I know that among this group of people, there are people who are dealing with circumstances and dealing with situations that they are looking at and they're saying, Lord God, this is so out of my control. And Lord, won't you answer? Won't you show up? Won't you do something? Now, there are people who've been praying for a long time. And it seems like those two days, three days, four days of waiting have stretched into weeks, months, years. And Father, even in the midst of that, there may be expectations that we need to allow to die. There may be expectations that you want to exceed by showing us a deeper, greater revelation of who you are. So, Father, I pray you do just that. I pray in your timing, in your way, which your timing and your way, they're perfect. I pray that you would show up in each of our lives and that you would show up in such a way that we would know that it's you and you alone so that you get the glory alone and so that we know you in a deeper, deeper way. And that causes us a deeper, a deeper heart of worship and a deeper love for you. Father, I pray for those who may be here watching, listening, who may say, Jesus has been dealing with me and he's been showing me through, through the words of Christ and through the word of God, just showing me that I've not yet received him as Savior and Lord. And Jesus wants to reframe himself in my life in that way and show me that. God, I pray 
that today would be the day they would say yes to Christ. Father, today would be the day that they would say, I want to know Christ as Savior. I want to know him as my Lord. You sent Jesus to live a perfect life and die in our place. Sin separates us from you, God, and there's nothing we can do to bridge that gap. And the wages of sin is death. The righteous penalty of our sin is death. But Jesus took that death upon himself, even though he didn't deserve it. He took it on the cross. And if we trust that he made that sacrifice for us, that he died and he rose again on that third day, that if we trust in him, trust his sacrifice, surrender our lives to him, we will have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Father, we pray that we would come to you and understand that fully and completely. So Father, I pray that in this time now, in the days to come, that you would walk before us and that you would give us wisdom to live our lives in a way that reflects a Jesus that we are understanding better day by day. And we understand his role, his identity, the truth of who he is in our lives would be lived out so that others may see Jesus in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.